thank you so much for joining me for another episode, another lecture by Neville Goddard. This one is titled Wonder, Working Power of Attachment, and it is from 1963. So Neville tells his audience, tonight's subject is the wonder working power. I hope I can tell it tonight so simply that no one leaving this room can say I didn't quite understand it. That within the immediate present, you can put it into effect and prove the truth of what I am talking about from this platform. This wonder-working power is a showing in four different levels of vision. Blake made this statement. Now, a fourfold vision see, or a four, now, a fourfold vision I see, and a fourfold vision is given to me. Tis fourfold in my supreme delight, and threefold in soft boyless night, and twofold always may goddess keep from single vision and Newton's sleep. Now here's the perfect description of single vision. Maybe you are familiar with this one little point, just one verse. A primrose by a river's brim, a yellow primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. He looks at a tree, it's a tree, that's all there is. He looks at a man, it's a man. He looks at a rock, it's a rock, and it's nothing more. A primrose by a river's brim, a yellow primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. That's a single vision, and the whole vast world sees it in that light. But now we want to bring everyone here into a double vision. We're all familiar with a fireplace. So we look at a fireplace and say something is burning. And then one day I see it was lit by something similar to itself. A spark lit it, and then it was fed, and it blazed up, warming me radiating this wonderful heat, and then it cooled. Then we had the embers and then the ash. Looking at it, you and I would say, well, you know, it reminds me of my life. That's what my life, my life is like a fire. It comes in, lit in some strange way, and then it's fed and fed and fed, and it blazes up and then becomes an ember and then an ash. And so I have a smile. Then I say my life is a fire. Now I have a metaphor. One day, I will leave out the little is, and I say life and fire are synonyms. I can't see one without seeing the other, without imagining the other. Then I have an image, I have a symbol, and I do it with everything in the world, and I have many images. When everything in the world is to me but a symbol, then I have double, double vision. Double vision, my eye can see now that nothing appears as it appears to the world. Everything is different. A man who appears to be a man. So when I talk to him, I get his moods. And while he takes advantage of other men, he's in business. He doesn't pay good wages to anyone who serves him. Then I see that man as I would see any blood-sucking, blood-drinking insect, just a parasite. He may be the head of society. He may be the most powerful person in the world, a dictator. But I see him using men for his own personal gain. And you see him now spiritually. And one side only sees the garment and his name, the little tag it appears, and they bow before him. But you now, with double vision, and you see him as a parasite, just like a flea. A flea that lives on the body of the dog or the animal or anything in the world. 
he's only a flea. You see him as a flea, although he may have billions of dollars. He may control the armies of the world, but he's only a flea. And that's how God sees him. When you begin your sight that way, all of a sudden you see differently and he doesn't offend you. You aren't moved by him. You see him just as he really is in the eyes of God. That's the beginning of double vision. Now comes the third vision. The third vision, when these images interplay and they marry and beget other images, that's the threefold vision. Here is a little child. The child is three. This is a true story. The grandmother is present here tonight. The story was told me before I took the platform. She's now five and a half, but the mother knows this. Uh, she's been coming here over the years. So the child's now five and a half. When she was three, the father and mother had no money. He was working on a job at a small salary, and they dreamed of owning their own home. A wonderful home. But they had no money, and they were in debt. So the little child, while in bed, was told by the grandmother and the mother, Close your eyes and see this lovely home. A huge big fireplace right up to the ceiling. Glass all around, two bedrooms for you, Pammy, her name is Pamela, and then Julie, her sister, who was then only one year old. So you see it clearly now. Go into the bedroom, keep your eyes closed. If you open your eye, it's going to deny what I'm telling you. So keep your eyes closed, go into the bedroom, and go into the other bedroom. One is yours and one is Julie's, and a huge fireplace up to the ceiling. In a little while, this firm was absorbed by a larger firm, and all the men were given aptitude tests. His came out with this kind of a test. You are a salesman. At first, he refused to accept the thought he could sell. He was going to quit. They said, you may quit, but you can't work for us unless you become a salesman. That is what we see in this test. You must become a salesman. In the immediate present, he was making a fortune. And they bought the home, glass all over, two bedrooms, leading off of this enormous fireplace up to the ceiling. Now he's making money. He was never given to spending money and was never considered a generous father or husband, possibly afraid of the future. When it came to Christmas, a mother wondered, how am I going to get $5 out of him to buy toys for my children? So remembering what they did prior to getting this home, she said, Pammy, do you remember what we did with the house? Yes, she remembered the whole thing. Now close your eyes and there's a huge, big playpen in the backyard filled with toys. And you go into the backyard and play. Remain here physically, but now you go right into the backyard. Don't open your eyes because it will then be single vision. Go into the backyard and all these images are playing now. Just before Christmas, she called her mother, who was here this night, and said, I think he's gone mad. You know what he's contemplating? He's contemplating buying a $100 playpen for Pammy and Julie, and undoubtedly he'll fill it with toys. But she said, I was there for Christmas every night and Christmas Day when we opened the toys. This enormous playpen, he paid $100 for it, and it was filled with toys. But she said the grandmother to... She said, the grandmother to her daughter, Have you forgotten what you did with Pammy only a week or two ago? And then she remembered. How could she now criticize the extravagance of her husband, who was always so mean 
when she herself had put the child into the state of seeing this wonderful playpen filled with the toy. Now that is threefold vision. You take a vision, everything is a symbol. Take me, I'm a symbol, you're a symbol, and everything is a symbol. And you interplay them to form a certain pattern, which will then give birth to another image. So I bring you before my mind's eye in a certain manner. I bring another party into the same picture. Then I add to these two a conversation between the two of them, which conversation would imply that you know I am what I want to be. I bring you, I bring another, and I eavesdrop and I listen. I heard them discuss, and they are discussing my good fortune. I listen until I actually hear what I would hear were true. Everyone is discussing exactly what I want to hear. Or if I heard it, it would imply the fulfillment of my dream. That is taking now symbols, taking images, and interplaying them. Interplaying them so that I married them. And as they marry, they beget another image. The images that are bringing me forward in the image that I want to see myself express in the world. That's threefold vision. Now, fourfold vision, I trust you have it. If you haven't had it, I can't describe the joy of fourfold vision. If I could describe it, it is dreaming, yes, or loving, or imagining, and these are only three forms of the same thing. But dreaming with such intensity that it obliterates the daylight, just as daylight ordinarily obliterates the dream. You're sitting in a chair and you're loving, you're imagining, you're dreaming, and suddenly it is no longer something that is unseen by you. Or this little child, she saw it in her mind's eye. But not as I'm seeing you now and you see the speaker. She saw it, kept the physical eyes closed, and moved into the imagined state and made it real to her. But fourfold vision, something goes out and suddenly you say to yourself, I'm dreaming. No, I'm not. It's real. I'm not dreaming. Here it is. It's real. Just as real as this. The curtain goes up on it and then what began as a dream, just a daydream, but you did it with intensity. And suddenly the curtain goes up and you step into the world of your dream. You are awake in what formerly began as a dream. And now let me tell you my first experience of it. I used the threefold vision a number of times to produce results <clears throat> and talked about it, told all my friends about it, and all these things worked. Threefold vision produces the same results that the little child produced. It never fails. But one night here in Beverly Hills, I suddenly looked up, my eyes were closed, and I was awake. I knew exactly where I was. I was in my home in Beverly Hills on El Camino, and I knew that I should see where, and I knew what I should see where my eyes open. I felt my eyes closed, and yet I am seeing more vividly than I'm seeing you now. I should see the familiar objects on the wall. I should see the familiar things on my bureau. For I was lying on my right side, but instead of seeing these, suddenly I am seeing the interior of a fantastic building. <clears throat> Consciousness followed vision, and I stepped into the state that I am seeing. I came back to my bed, and once more I am now in a horizontal position. Then again I stepped into my vision, and I am now vertical. I am stepping right into what I see. I did it maybe a dozen times, and then I decided to explore. Regardless of consequences, I'm going to explore. It's the very end of my life in this world. I can't stop it. I must explore.
and so I stepped into this place with the determination to go on. As I did so, it closed around me. The room that seemed, <clears throat> when I was on the bed, it seemed to maybe 30 by 20, and now became 10 by 7. I discovered as I examined it that it's simply a dressing room. I left this room into a huge big suite, an enormous suite of rooms, unoccupied but prepared for occupancy, but not occupied. It was just as solidly real as this room is. I was, to myself, just as I am now. Everything I touched was solid. My hands could not go through it. It was solid. I came out of this room into a huge hallway, which led to a huge, big public hallway. When I got there, I saw two ladies coming down the hallway. I knew how the whole thing started, and so I said to them, Ladies, this is a dream. Well, they were just as startled as you would be if you met me, a total stranger, say at a hotel, the ambassador. You never saw me before and suddenly you saw a man coming into this place who suddenly talks to you. You don't know him and he tells you, ladies, this is a dream. Wouldn't you be startled? You would say, well, this man is insane. Let us get out of this place as fast as we can. That's exactly what they tried to do. They got as far away from me as they could, right next to the wall. But I insisted it's a dream because I remembered exactly what I did. But now I'm fully awake in the dream. My eyes are wide open and I'm awake in my dream. As I passed by walking rapidly, I saw this ornate thing over my head. And I remembered a little visit a few months before in a friend's home near the hills of Hollywood where he had a similar thing hanging from his wall. I remarked then, how does such a thing remain up? He said, if you look closely, you will see an almost invisible thread supporting it from the ceiling, which I did. It was a beautiful cluster of leaves made of very thin copper. Well, this resembled that and reminded me of that, again, because I saw this in my now waking dream. I said, now I know it's a dream because this is only a memory image of what I saw in my friend's home in the hills of Hollywood there six months ago, so it must be a dream. Even though they're so real, and this is so real, and I am so real, everything is so real, it is a dream. And so as I did this, I held one of the leaves, and I said to myself, Come on, Neville. You know it is a dream. Wake up. Wake. And I came to, standing in that place more awake than I am here now. Now, being a father, then my little girl was in high school. She had to go through high school. Her desire was to go through college. And I said to myself, here Vicky is unschooled, and she must be educated. If I make my exit now, I leave a wife unprepared for this problem, and so I can't leave here now. I have unfinished business in the world, for I am completely shut out in an entirely different world. So, while standing there, I closed my eyelids, and just as if I closed them here now, I wouldn't see you. So I didn't see the hallway. I opened my eyelids and here is the hallway. I did it maybe a dozen times. I am completely locked out in this world. I said to myself, they'll find the body tomorrow in Beverly Hills and because of insurance policies, they'll have to cut it up and say, well, he dies of this, that or the other. But I still didn't want to terminate in this way. I wanted to get back. And this is what I did. Standing there, completely shut out in this other world, I simply imagined with the same intensity that brought me into that world. I imagined a pillow under my head. 
I stood there, just simply feeling a pillow. That's all. Suddenly, while standing there, I could feel a pillow. And then, to my great surprise, I am not vertical. I am horizontal. But I could feel myself on a pillow. But then, I was cataleptic. And I couldn't move. I couldn't open my eyes. I went to the most enormous effort to open my eyes. And I couldn't move my eyes. I couldn't move my hand. I couldn't move a finger. I'm completely cataleptic. Then, maybe 30 or 40 seconds later, I could navigate the little finger. We had a double bed, and so my wife slept on the other side. After a little while, I could move from the elbow, and I pushed it over, and I could feel that nice warm body of my wife, and I knew I'm back. A little while later, I could move the other hand. And then, with a tremendous effort, I opened my physical eyelids and saw the familiar objects on the wall. So I tell you, when Blake said, he didn't claim it was his always. Now a fourfold vision I see. And a fourfold vision is given to me. Tis fourfold in my supreme delight, and threefold in soft, boyless night. And twofold always may God us keep from signal vision and Newton's sleep. So when you only see a man, when you look at a man, and he is no more than just a man, it's not He's not a loving being or a hating being or a blood-sucking insect. He's none of these things, just a man. That's single vision. If a fire is a fire and it means nothing else, if a tree is a tree, nothing else, but not a thing becomes a symbol or an image to you, then it's single vision. And may I tell you the difference between fourfold vision and single vision is the difference between normal eyesight and blindness. One, who was born blind, I don't mean going blind, with memories of what you once observed while you had sight. I mean to be born blind, where no one in this world could convey to you what it means to look at red. If you're born blind and you never had the experience of the color red, there's no word, not a thing in this world that man could use to convey to you the sensation of red, or blue, or any other color. A form, yes. You can bring your hands, and you can touch a form, and you can say this is a symbol of that term. And this, then this is something different, and this is something different, and a bed, and a chair, and this, and a cross, and all the materials. But you haven't seen color. There's no word now by man that could convey to you the experience of color. Well, the difference between fourfold vision and single vision is the difference between normal eyesight and blindness from birth. So when one gets into it, I can't tell you the thrill. It's supreme delight, and you enter it, as I say, yes, dreaming or loving or imagining, three forms of the same thing, but with such intensity that suddenly you are awake in the state you contemplate. You're contemplating it, and suddenly you are awake in it, and it takes on all the objective qualities that this room is now. That's fourfold vision. But for practical purposes in this world, we can discuss and try to encourage you to practice threefold vision. And threefold vision, like this little child, here is a child, three years old, and now see the fireplace. So she sees it. Don't open your eyes, Pammy, because if you open your eyes, you aren't going to see it. And right away, you're going to come right down to onefold vision. So a fireplace, do you see it? See the wall? Oh, yes. And lots of glass all around? Yes. And then over here, there's a room. It's your bedroom. And over there, there's another bedroom, and that is Julie's room. You get it? And then out of the nowhere, what seems like a disaster, for his firm was being absorbed, 
and all the jobs are uncertain. So they're all given an aptitude test, including the father of this child. He comes out on top, but not what he had been doing in the other job. He now must change jobs and become a salesman, which he doesn't want to do. But the aptitude test revealed he has all the qualifications for salesmanship, which he never thought before. Now he becomes a salesman, and he's making a fortune. But now he becomes uneasy. He wants lovely things in this world, but very penurious. However, they buy a home, the home of the child's dream, Pammy's dream. Then comes Christmas. How to get out of him $5 to buy presents for my children? He, on the other hand, comes home with a hundred odd dollars worth of present. And she, forgetting what she did, he's gone mad. He's contemplating buying a hundred dollar playpen. And she said to her daughter, Have you forgotten what you did with Pammy? Didn't you put Pammy into that lovely place where she actually played in the backyard with the playpen? Oh, yes, I completely forgot it. Well, who did it? It's not his generosity, it's Pammy who did it. Pammy stirred him to go looking for the $100 pen because Pammy had played in it. It had to be there. Now she takes all these images and she interplays them and marries them and it produces a result. And she is the result. So I tell you, nothing is impossible to this wonder-working power. Christ is called in the Bible the power and the wisdom of God. For God is all imagination and his power is imagining. That's Christ. So Paul could say, having once thought of Christ as a man, he then said, from now on I regard no one from the human point of view, even though I once regarded Christ from a human point of view. I regard him thus no longer. 2 Corinthians 5.16 He now sees who Christ is. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. And the power and wisdom of God is imagining, as God is all imagination. And God became a man, that man may become God. So Blake said, man is all imagination. And God is man, and exists in us, and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself. Now you may not, with your concepts of Christ and concepts of God, accept it. But I suggest if there is evidence for a thing, what you think about it, or even wish about it, is nothing to the point. So this little girl and her mother remembered what she did and brings about this. And you may not relate her imaginal act to the fact, and you may say it would have happened anyway. Then the third time she does it, all in the interval of two years, and the parents realize exactly what they did. Now we come to the crux of the story of the child. As happens in the lives of all people, especially in California, why I do not know, but in California there are many divorces. Anyone who is married for 10 years is a senior citizen. It's a more fantastic thing. If you remain united for more than five, that's really an accomplishment. Well, in spite of their two little girls, sweet children, they grew apart. He is Catholic and he didn't want a divorce, but nevertheless they got a divorce. The divorce was granted and finalized. Using the grandmother's story and her very words, using the word finalized, it was finalized two weeks ago. As she began, she said to me to lose faith because she called me on this case when it began to develop a couple of months ago, say three months ago, and she said I don't want them to be divorced. I'm quite sure they were and must be. So I agreed with her. Certainly they could be. Well, in spite of that agreement, here came a divorce. And the paper signed, the whole thing finalized. So the grandmother said to the little girl, You want mother back, don't you? 
and she began to cry. He said, all right, you know what you did with the house and the fireplace and the grass and the two bedrooms? Yes. You remember what you did with the playpen and all the toys? Yes. Well, now tonight, right now, you close your eyes, and Mother is coming through the door. You hear the door open. She is coming in in her nightgown, not in any suit, not in a dress, for she's leaving this house tonight. She is coming here in her nightgown. She's sleeping here, so the door is opening, and it's her mother. She's coming over, and she's kissing you. Feel the kiss. It's mother, and she's in her nightgown. She did it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and mother returned to that house on Friday. And mother is now back in the household in spite of a divorce decree that has been finalized. Maybe in the eyes of the priests they are living in sin, but there they are, parents of the two little girls. And mother came back just as the grandmother. She said to the grandmother, You know, Grandma, you are mature. You are old, but with me, imagination works like thunder. For we are told in the Bible, in the Bible to never send a child away, for the child will lead us. In Isaiah, and a little child shall lead them, 11.6. A little child brings back the grandmother's faith, for she called me, the teacher of this principle, and I agreed with her over the phone. Yes, reconciliation is perfect. So I heard her say yes, not devising the means toward the end, simply the end, and then came what seems to be final and absolute, a signed decree for divorce. You can't go beyond that. Who says you can't go beyond that? Everything is possible to God. With God, nothing is impossible. If you know who he is, God is your own wonderful human imagination, and God in action is Christ. Imagination in action is imagining. So what are you imagining on a threefold vision or a single vision? A single vision is right here, and these are the facts of life, and I can do not a thing about it, so I perpetuate my world based upon the single vision. Then comes that moment in time I get a double vision, where things are not what they seem to be. They become similes. They become, at first, just a smile. I relate myself to the burning fire, knowing that as I began at a certain moment in time, it will come to an end, just like the fire. So, I am a smile. Then I say life is a fire, a metaphor. Then I rub out the little is, and I say life and fire are synonyms. And then I see it as a symbol. I can't feel one without the other. Then I have images. I take it with everything in my world then. And so I think of people, and there are certain, well, I saw them in my mind's eye spiritually, and they are all images. Then I begin to blend them, and I interplay the images. As I interplay them, they marry, and as they marry, they beget other images. And then I tested it. I would like to be, and I name it. I would like to be, say, elsewhere. Well, elsewhere is an image. And so I assume that I am elsewhere. Were I there, I would see people that I couldn't see from this angle. And so were I there, I would see people that I couldn't see from this angle. And so were I there, I would see people that I couldn't see from this angle. Yes, that's repeated three times. And so were I there, I would have to see them. For they would be there, then I began to see them in my mind's eye. Seeing them would imply that I am there. And so I began to talk with them just as though I were here, and then I found that things rapidly changed in my world to compel the journey, and I move across a series of events, some bridge of incidents, that led me up to the fulfillment of that journey, and there I am. But then I remembered what I did. I took images, just simple images, 
and so interplayed and intermarried them that they produced another image, and the image was a fulfillment of my desire for myself, and I made the journey. So this is the threefold. He calls it soft Boila's light, or Boila's night, the thing nearest to heaven in Blake's terminology. First of all, he has eternity. He calls it Eden, and he likens it to the sun. The sun is the symbol. Then he had next to that soft Boila's night, and the symbol of that was the moon, for the moon reflects the light of the sun, and this reflects the activity of heaven. Then he has a limit of it all. He had five worlds. The limit of it all he calls Ulro, this world, for it was opaque, the limit of contraction, and the limit of opacity, where man has single vision. Now everyone in this world has single vision, but we are here for a purpose. This is for divine reason that we are here. You and I didn't do a thing that was wrong to bring us here. We are here that we may be awakened as God. Just like a chicken dropping an egg and the egg contains a chicken and by an effort from within, after germination it comes out. The egg giving birth to what it contains is God moving out of this egg and the egg here is a human skull. God actually comes out and is God. God became man that man may become God. So here the fall spoken of in the Bible is no more than the fall of the egg from the chicken. That's the full doctrine of the fall and then the chicken rises from the broken egg and it's God, and that's the end of the doctrine of evolution. So God became man that man may become God, so I tell you, treat it seriously, and become as a little child. This night, when you go to bed, put yourself into the state of the wish fulfilled, and then blend all the images that would imply the fulfillment of that state and live in it just as though it were true. How it will happen, I do not know. Another lovely story which I must tell you, for last Friday night, my wife, my wife came to the door and said, Is there a gentleman in my room or a lady in the room who left a little dog in a car? Well, he is needed or she is needed. So the gentleman jumped right up and went out looking for the dog. He called me late that night, said he hadn't found the dog. He said, I love the dog. I know it's my own negligence. I left the door open because I was so eager to get to the meeting without missing any part of it that I did not close the window. It was a little poodle. So he sought all over the neighborhood and he couldn't find the dog. He was up very late that night and called me. He said, what must I do, Neville? So I told him what I would do were I he. I would go to sleep just as though the dog were in the house. Feel the presence of the dog and think only in terms of the nearness of the dog's... Right, or the, the nearness of the dog, it's right here. And so I am able to tell you tonight, not the details. I don't have the details as yet. He has a dog. And so it never fails. You know the meaning of the word prayer. You're told it in the 11th chapter, the 24th verse of the book of Mark. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you received it, and you will. For the word prayer means by definition in the biblical concordance, motion toward ascension to nearness at, at or in the vicinity of. Now you have a little dog and it's lost, and now you are living miles and miles away from where it jumped through the window. No, prayer means nearness to, motion toward, nearness at, at, or in the vicinity of. If you found him, where would he be tonight? In a kennel? No, he'd be home, wouldn't he? Well, now that's praying. Here, he's at home. Would it, he's here at home, would he be? Well, now that's praying. For if he actually came back, you found him, you wouldn't leave him behind, he'd be at home. Therefore, you would actually bring him into your house. 
Now sleep as though you can touch him and feel him and smell him and feel his presence. Then go to sleep. Well, tonight I can tell you he is at home, and the owner of this little dog has learned a lesson, not to leave the window open. So here I invite you to join me in threefold vision. May I tell you it will not fail you. No power in this world can stop it from working. For there's only God. There's nothing but God. God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. That's Christ. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. You don't need to be any wiser than you are. What would it be like were it true? And then you go to bed in the assumptions that it is true and sleep in that assumption. Now, Friday night, a lady, I do not see her here tonight, but maybe she's here. But she gave me a letter Friday night. Pardon me, I now see her. But on Friday night, she gave me this perfectly wonderful letter, a true story. I told because she gave me permission to tell it. I told it last Sunday morning without using her name, without using the firm's name. So I didn't tell the firm's name or her name, but she's here tonight. Three weeks ago, she and I were in the back room here where I speak. She wanted to see me before my meeting to discuss her problem. Her problem was the filling of a position in a fabulous company with resources in excess of a half billion dollars. No lady have, had ever filled that position before. It was never considered that any woman could fill that position. There were many men eligible with ability to fill that job, but she wanted it. I simply said to her, were I you, I would simply occupy it, just as though it were true. So she occupied that job, and three weeks later, she was appointed to that job. Now she is a loan counselor in a corporation whose resources exceed a half billion dollars, the first woman ever appointed to such an office. She is here tonight. I'm not going to ask her to identify herself, but someday, maybe, in this wonderful world of, world of ours, you will be in need of her services. So she will tell you what I told her, and yet she can be of service to those who need her services. So here... Join with me in putting into practice this threefold vision. It won't fail you, but may I tell you, you are the operant power. Knowing it, knowing it is one thing and doing it is another. You either do it or you don't do it. If you do it, it will not fail. If you say you know it and that you are a good person, therefore God, because you are God, is going to take care of you, I have news for you. So let us go into the silence. Put into practice this perfectly wonderful principle. Okay, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1963 titled Wonder Working Power of Attachment. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode, another lecture, and I will see you guys next time. I hope everyone has a wonderful day or evening, depending on where you're at. And yes, I'll see you in the next lecture. All right, have a good one. Bye.